help. MDA is what ensures they receive critical medical care at one of over 150 care centers across the U.S. During COVID-19, kids like me are at a greater risk. The Muscular Dystrophy Association needs your support now more than ever. COVID-19 won't stop us. To learn how you can help, please visit helpmda.org. Thank you. WSAU, it's Saturday morning. I'm Tom King. I'm in the studio and Merle Kelch today enjoying the holiday weekend at the Palatial Kelch Estate in northern Wisconsin, or as Merle would tell you, it's a shack in the woods, but he joins us on location today. Good morning, sir. Well, good morning. It is indeed a shack in the woods, but I do have Wi-Fi and central air, and apparently I have some extra pets in the in the, uh, in the old trailer here today, so we're, uh, we're feeding some of them and seeing if we can uh, relocate them to another... Uh, Another venue. What are we talking? So, <laughs> squirrels, chipmunks, skunks? Um, just just mice, just mice. Oh, so if okay. you uh, right. if you're a little hungry, I can bring you back a, a mouse souffle, Tom. Uh, well, I'm sure anybody who's listening, that, anybody who's listening who has pet snakes would enjoy uh, having you uh, <laughs> deliver some lunch for them. I have but... I have a place I have a place for them for uh, co- collecting, but uh, fortunately not as many as as some years. So, but uh, all right, so here we go. You know, Tom, one of the things that are out here. Um, that I like about this business and what I do for a living is to hear about new stuff that's out. And, and I want to touch upon a company, and I'm not going to talk talk about it a ton, um, but I want people who are out here and are investors to go take a look at it and research on it. So this is one I'm not recommending you go out and buy. i got to make sure I say that from a, a compliance standpoint. I don't know if it's suitable, but it's one that's interesting to me from a technology standpoint. So there's a company that's out there called Hyzon, H-Y-Z-O-N. Um, Tom, we've talked about a whole bunch of times on this program uh, about, of course, electric cars. And, and again, I'm a fan of electric car for commuting stuff within a city because we're not going to run out of gas and juice or, well, I suppose there's no gas. We're not going to run out of power for getting back and forth. But for long hauls and heavy stuff, it doesn't appear that it's going to work as efficiently as we thought it might. And so I've been a long fan of hydrogen fuel cells. And so, of course, Tom, uh, you don't have to take up half of the earth to uh, rip apart and make lithium batteries for it. And its byproduct is water. Not bad. I'll tell you what, Merle, we're having some problems. You're you're breaking up here. I don't know if you're on speaker or not, but uh, you seem to be breaking up here a bit. All right. Um, We can call you. All right, I'll tell you what, we're going to take a break here, and we'll come back and try to get our phone situation figured out, and uh, hopefully we can reconnect with Merle in just a bit here on WSAU. The opinions voiced on this show are for general information only and are not intended to provide specific advice or recommendations for any individual. To determine which investments may be appropriate for you, consult your attorney, accountant, financial advisor, or tax advisor prior to investing. This show contains forward-looking statements that may not come true. Securities and Investment Advisory Services offered through HBEC Incorporated, member FINRA SIPC, HBAC Incorporated Couch and Associates are unaffiliated companies, and this program is intended for Wisconsin residents only. Yeah, military life can have its challenges, but sometimes veteran life brings more. While serving in Iraq, an IED took both my legs, but it didn't take my spirit. As America's veterans face challenges, DAV is there. My name is Greg Gadsden, 26-year Army veteran. With the right support, more veterans can reach victories great and small. DAV helps veterans like me get all the benefits they've earned, and that can be a life changer. DAV provides a lifetime of support to veterans of every generation, helping more than a million veterans each year. 
Today, I'm an entrepreneur, photographer, and public speaker. But there's more to be done and more victories to be won. With the right support, there are no limits. My victory is just being the best that I can be. Greg Gadsden, thank you for your service. May your victories inspire many more. Support more victories for veterans. Go to DAV.org. And WSC, you are going to try this again now and see if we can connect with Merle Kelch, Kelch and Associates in Wausau. Good morning again. Hello. Hello there. There he is. All right. We are here. Well, folks, you know, we tried new technology this morning, and apparently this voice over Internet doesn't work this far north. Okay, well, so, we're gonna so we're gonna try it with the old-fashioned landline deal. All we're... right, so here I tell you what, I'm gonna start right away with my story as if we started brand new. Okay, so, um, so here we go. Um, there's a, a company out there called Hyzon, H-Y-Z-O-N. And for those of you that are looking around in investments and trying to look at future stuff, I want you to look at this. I'm not gonna say that it's for you. I'm not gonna recommend it for your portfolio. I'm not gonna recommend that you buy the company, but I want you to look at the technology and make up your own decision. So in here, um, I'm a big fan of electric vehicles, and I think we're going that way. I think, Tom, for us running around the city and the stuff that we do, you know, 80%, 90% of the time, I think electric vehicles are going to be just fine. But, you know, one of the things about electric vehicles is it certainly may be greener, but it's not green. Um, we, you know, in making the components, we still have to manufacture, make steel and metal and all that sort of stuff. And for lithium batteries, we've got to rip up a whole bunch of earth to get the lithium out. And so I've been a big fan for a long time of hydrogen fuel cells. Except hydrogen fuel cells, haven't the technology hasn't been there to make them really effective for a lot of uses. Um, but their byproduct for a hydrogen fuel cell is water, and hydrogen is all over the place. You know, hydrogen is water. Remember, H2O is part of that, and um, certainly part of the air we breathe, and it's all over the place, and it's abundant. So as a result of this, then, a company called Hyzon has made it so that it's commercially um, viable. Um, in between 1920 and 1921, uh, they have uh, taken orders and have built 500 heavy commercial vehicles running on hydrogen fuel cells, um, as well as uh, just signed leasing contracts with, I, I believe it was Sweden, my apologies, um, uh, for a whole bunch more. And they do, you know, buses, coaches, um, uh, heavy vehicles, and that kind of stuff, all running on hydrogen fuel cells. And it appears from the reading that I work with them, it looks like they might have hydrogen fuel cells that are going to be more applicable to vehicles. And so think about this, Tom. If we want to certainly be greener, um, going through, it would make sense that we have our electric running. Are you there? <laughs> well, it appears that uh, we are having phone problems again with Merle Kelch, Kelch and Associates. So we're going to try to reconnect with Merle, and uh, hopefully this will work here before we're done with the hour. We'll be back after this on WSAU. All right, crew, let's get her dug. Honey, you want to give me a hand? I'm planting that tree, remember? No matter how large or small your digging project may be, no matter how urban or rural, you must always call 811 before any digging project. 811 is our national one-call number, alerting your local utility companies to come out and mark any lines they have near your dig site. You must call 811 at least two to three business days before any digging project so you can avoid hitting our essential buried utilities. This includes natural gas and petroleum pipelines, electric, communication cables, and water and sewer lines. So before you do this or this, make sure you do this. For digging projects big or small, make the call to 811. Brought to you by Common Ground Alliance. 
And we're back here in the we studio. Are. And uh, you were talking about hydrogen hydrogen fuel vehicles and a company that yep. ma- is making them viable. Where is the smart investor money going to go then when we talk about uh, electric cars mm-hmm. versus hydrogen versus, uh, you know, in- internal combustion? Sure. Where is the smart investor money going? Yeah, first of all, this is getting really difficult for me to remember the same story three times. <laughs> I'm getting too old for this stuff. So, so, so in here, as I was saying, um, I think where the smart money is going is, but, but, but anyway, you know, I think we have the ability to have the electric vehicles for our short-term distances, but we've got long-term distances to have, uh, to drive, either with uh, vehicles, cars. Um, if we have long distances, we're hauling freight. I think the electric, fuel, oh, sorry, I think the hydrogen fuel cell is the way to go. And, and it looks like this company has it cracked. Uh, they're also going to use a um, special um, acquisition um, company or a SPAC to come out public relatively soon, but take a look at it. So here's where, how I see this up. You know, um, Tesla's been one of the first that's out there. They're building a bunch of cars. They did pretty good on numbers, but they didn't hit what their expectations were this past quarter. But Ford and General Motors are ramping up and are ramping up quickly uh, with their electrical vehicle stuff. And in fact, you're starting to see that they're both of their stocks rise as of late um, as a result of that. So the electrical market is going to be in there. But the long-term haul, um, um, I think we look at companies like this Hyzon, I think that's going to kind of be the, the technology that ways are going to go. It wouldn't even surprise me that if the technology in Hyzon in using fuel cells is actually going to be greener or the most greener Well, we've, we've, seen the, so, uh, we've seen some of the, the big car companies and truck companies having a problem getting computer chips. In fact, they're closing some factories uh, for a while here because they can't get the computer chips to make the, make the vehicles. Is that a short-term problem, or is that going to be a long-term situation? And when you're talking about these hydrogen fuel yeah, cell vehicles, yeah. do they need as many computer chips as the other cars do? Um, I'm not exactly sure. Um, I, I'm not an engineer from that standpoint, but I would imagine that the fuel chip, I'm sorry, the, the computer chip problem that we're having is short term. Um, I think that gets itself solved as we start getting back to work as a world um, as a result of all the things that are happening inside of COVID. And in fact, that kind of relates to a, a second subject that we'll, we'll chat about as we come along. But um, in here, um, folks, you know, electric vehicles are the way we're going. Like it or good, like it or not, good, bad, or indifferent, that appears the direction that we're going. Um, and throughout the course of the next several years. Um, well, you've talked, you've talked in the past about, you know, people have always, uh, at least when electric vehicles first came out, people were complaining, well, I'll never, I'll never buy an electric vehicle. It's wimpy. It doesn't have any power. It doesn't accelerate, yada, yada, yada. And as you've said on, before on the show, that's not necessarily true. Some of the electric vehicles uh, have lots of acceleration and power. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Um, I have a friend of mine, well, it's a friend of mine's brother, but uh, he has a Tesla, and he says one of the quickest vehicles he ever had. You know, we, we forget about that, um, you know. It just doesn't make as much noise as some of the other vehicles he's had. Well, that's the part that's scary because, I mean, how do you shift in a four-speed with a Tesla? It doesn't exist, so it's not cool. All right, tongue-in-cheek. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, we think about this. Um, Tom, I'm, I'm kind of a – I'm not an engineer, but I think I play one sometimes just because I kind of like playing with stuff. Um, we think about it. Some of the most powerful engines in the world have uh, are all electric. Um, uh, you know, RAM-based engines, uh, um, uh, rail engines, that type of stuff. You know, when we're making steel, folks, when they're pulling those extrusions out, they're using what's called a, a rail engine, which is essentially an electric motor. Um, and the, it, the more power it gets is only limited by the amount of electricity you can stick in it. Now, Tom, have you ever been at the Rock and Roll uh, ride in Disney, the Rock and Roll roller coaster? Have you ever done that? Um, I can't remember if I went on that one or not. Well, you would remember if you would. <laughs> Um, and it's basically a rail engine that they use, and uh, that rail engine is based upon power, and it has the most acceleration I've ever felt in my life. 
And a uh, fun story with us, we're waiting in line and we're hearing people scream, and I'm with my uh, buddy's daughter, we call her my niece. Well, she's now grown up in 23 and 24 kind of stuff, but she's just a little girl, maybe about eight. She said, Uncle Merle, will you come with me? I said, sure. So we get into this ride, and I'm hearing all these screams that were in queue, and I'm like, wow, that's a really cool feature that they have me having all the scream sounds. And then they got me into this machine, and they let it go, and I scream like a girl. And she still teases me about that. So it wasn't, it, 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 it wasn't speaker screams, it was actual screams. Oh, uh, yeah, and, uh, you know, big, bad guys like me screaming, ah! <laughs> so there we go. But but the thing is, the acceleration of an electric engine, if you're a car buff, is going to be faster than what you're going to find instead of gas. I mean, it's instant, it's four-wheel drive, it's gone. And and I, I'm okay with that. I, I like fast stuff. It's kind of fun. I just don't like the sudden stop at the end if you hit something. That was another attempt at humor, folks. Yeah, okay. we're, we're just attempting humor today, but that's okay. <laughs> it's not real humor, it's just an attempt. <laughs> So, so the electrical engines, I think, are fine for getting out. The problem becomes is distance. Uh, the distance becomes the issue, and then what do you need to do when you recharge? Um, so, so with that, I, I like the hydrogen fuel cell stuff and the direction that that industry is going. I don't know if Hyzon is the company. I'm not recommending to go out and buy them, but they have a great story, and they talk about how they're doing it. And I think it's worth it if you're an investor and you want to learn about that industry. That is a nice story about it. So. That's where I'm going with that one at this point in time, and that's the story. As what, they say, what, I'm sticking to it. What about investing in vehicle companies at this point? Whether it's GM, whether it's Ford, whether it's Tesla, if you can afford it. I mean, uh, what what's the what's the future of the automotive industry as far as investing goes? I in think the opinion? future of the automotive industry is absolutely fantastic. Some of the best I've seen in such a long time. Um, you know, an electric vehicle. Um, has, at least from my reading, and I'm not going to confirm this again, I'm not an engineer, uh, less moving parts. Um, you essentially have a battery computer control stuff, and uh, you have four DC motors on the sides, and you plug them in, throw it off, and throw the body, and then has all the uh, creature comforts on the inside. The electrical vehicle also makes it so it's uh, a lot more user-friendly for having uh, semi-autonomous driving. Um, or as I call the Wisconsin option, so you can get home from the fish fry at the end of the night. There you go. Yeah, but um, so so I really like the idea, I like where it's going. I think the manufacturing cost is going to be faster and cheaper um, doing that versus uh, an electrical vehicle where you have to put all the engines and um, you know control the additional weight up front versus back and transmissions and all that sort of stuff. Um, so I think it adds to the profit margin of our vehicles, um, and a lot of vehicles are getting into it. You know, Tesla knows manufacturing, but I tell you what, Tom. Uh, General Motors and Ford probably know it better. They've been doing it for a lot longer. And so I like the direction that we're going. Um, I think we in America have the ability to uh, be serious leaders in the electrical vehicle marketplace, at least ones that have size that haul human beings, unlike some of these I've seen some from some foreign countries where <clears throat> if I actually got into one, we'd need a jib cream to get me out. <laughs> so so yeah. I, I like that direction. Um, but I'd love the direction if we can make it work and have something of reasonable size, too. You know, with the uh, what it costs now to buy a share of Tesla or what it costs to buy a share of, just getting away from the vehicle stocks for a minute, Microsoft or any of these huge companies where the, the shares are so expensive, um, what's your opinion of the, uh, it, it seems to be a trend now where more and more companies are letting folks invest in micro pieces of the share and not buy a whole share. I mean, it started with things like Robinhood, but I, I saw an ad yesterday for one of the big investment firms. I think it was Fidelity and they're offering people the ability to buy portions of shares. Is that something that's going to be the future of investing? And, and does that give folks the ability to maybe buy companies that they couldn't afford to buy before? Is that a good thing? Well, two, two things in there. Um, 
first of all, fractional shares have been around for a long time. Mutual fund industry has been doing it for you know, many, many, many years. In fact, uh, decades they've been doing fractional shares. That's how they do their stuff at the end of the day. So, so the technology in doing it is not that big of an issue. Um, I kind of look at it, I'm, I'm one of those old guys. I've been around this business, Tom, for 30-some years. I can't believe it either, mm. by the way. <laughs> but, you know, when I started this, uh, you got a different price if you bought it for a hundred, if you bought 100 shares versus if you bought 90 or 70. You got a better price if you went to 100. Below that, you had to pay an extra price called an odd lot differential. <clears throat> Excuse me. And so that disappeared a number of years ago when we started having more digital uh, type of stuff. I mean, uh, I can remember my original security testing. You had to know what, you know, eighth, quarter, 16th, half. You had to know all that stuff digitally, automatically. It was part of the testing because you had to know what it was. And now it doesn't matter. Um, you buy a stock and it might be for $23.4 digits. So it's, it's kind of interesting how that happens. So fractional shares, not that big of an issue um, and from my standpoint. Um, the only thing I think it does is, is it brings a lot of younger people into it um, and it makes a lot of fractional shares and makes kind of a mess of stuff, uh, though it's wrong. That's the only thought that I would have about it. And I'm assuming that somebody already solved that from a computer system standpoint. But, um, you know, for bringing a lot of people in, it's always buy, better to buy one share or two shares. Now, maybe about a year ago, we bought um, four shares of Apple for a grandchild of, of one of our kids. And we bought four shares. And they said, don't we want to buy five? I said, no, four is just fine. So, um, uh, by the way, Great idea to do that for your grandkids, Tom. I know they're coming soon, so just well, buy them a couple shares of you, stock here and there. When you talk about companies though, like Apple, like Microsoft, like like Tesla, where the uh, where the shares are so expensive, we've talked in the past about how much growth potential is left in these companies. Uh, do you believe that there is still room for growth in these companies that have been around for so long and whose shares are so expensive at this point? Yeah, you know, we, we have to. Tom, you hit upon a question. I I get literally on a daily basis, such as saying, I don't want to invest in the market because it's too high. And I said, well, I, I hope the market keeps getting higher. Well, why is that? Because companies are still making money then. Um, and the same thing with individual companies. Well, the stock price is too high. Well, why do you say it's too high? Well, look at where it is from now. Well, it, it's all based upon what the profit is. And so we have to look at a company, not where the stock price is, but what's the profit that's driving up where the stock price is actually attained. And is that sustainable? Is it going to continue to keep moving forward? You know, for example, if we take a look at... Uh, Tesla for a stock price, again, not recommending to go out and buy it. So we say, well, we think that uh, Tesla is too high, so we want to buy a share of that. We're going to buy um, 20 shares of some other stock. But if the other stock goes up 10% or Tesla goes up 10%, one share of Tesla or 20 shares of another stock, they both went up 10%. It yeah. doesn't matter. And so it's 10% of whatever it is that you purchase. You know, we'll have clients that will come in and say, well, I want to buy uh, one share of uh, Amazon. Oh, that's fine. Or should I buy 40 shares or something else? Well, it doesn't matter. 10% is 10%. Which company has better future projections for profit and therefore letting that stock price rise? And remember, if we take a look at the S&P 500 or the Dow, it's nothing more than an index of all the companies on the inside of it and their ability to create, generate, to create and generate profit I, and move that stock price forward. I guess my question was, though, at some point, every company reaches a point where it's not going to go any higher, right? No. No. In theory, every stock price will continue to con continue continue to rise as long as that company continues to generate more and larger and growing profits. So if a company hits maturity and it just stops growing, um, and therefore you'll then see the stock price, uh, of course, theoretically, when you see it math, it stops growing too. You know, one of the references we can actually look to that would be general, uh, I'm sorry, a GE. GE as a company remained stagnant for a long period of time, still made money. 
but it remains, remains stagnant. They didn't have a, a lot of growth, and part of that, and for some of the reasoning for it, uh, was they had you know uh, some debt service companies that weren't making a lot of money within their umbrella, and it was holding that stock price for a long, long period of time. So they weren't growing, and so therefore we saw their stock were being relatively stagnant. So you know, if you're a stock nut, you look for a company that has continually growing revenues, but their stock's not going up, and then those are the ones you want to buy if you find those kind of buggers that are out there, uh, because then you certainly have the ability to uh, uh, make some money once the marketplace sees that they're making money, but the stock price isn't growing, then people start buying it up. But in theory, stock prices can continue to keep growing indefinitely um, as the years go on, as long as, again, that company is making money and expanding its size and growth. All right, 715-845-2155, the number to call if you have a question for Merle. We're going to take a break. We'll come back with more, do some news, and then we'll be back with more here on WSAU. Vehicle accidents are stressful enough. You don't need someone showing up at the scene trying to pressure you. And we're back here. I'm Tom King in the studio. Merle Kelch joining us on location today. Phone calls are welcome, 715-845-2155. Hey, Merle, great jobs report yesterday. Uh, 916,000 new jobs added in the month of March. Unemployment fell to 6%. And with the promise of uh, all of these uh, good-paying construction jobs that will be coming to help out with this infrastructure project, and with the economy opening up for leisure and hospitality and travel once everybody gets vaccinated, uh, things are looking pretty good. You know, I think uh, things are continuing to look up. I mean, you look at the job support as 916,000, but the expectation was only, I shouldn't say only, 675,000 is a lot of jobs. And we hit it uh, over, I'm just going to estimate, say, by you know, nearly a third. That, that's fantastic. So just as was, was predicted last year as we started getting the vaccine, um, is happening. I mean, just as predicted last year with the growth and the expansion of the economy. So fantastic. It's the way it's supposed to go. You know, interesting, there was an article out here by uh, Jeffrey Bartash. <clears throat> and we've used him before in reference to stuff, but he says inflation is back in Wall Street's crosshairs as the U.S. economy surges again is the title of his article. And what's interesting about this, I want to do two things because two things happened this past week. One of them says, well, what if inflation comes? What's that going to mean uh, for my portfolio? And I said, you know, it doesn't matter where we are as far as an economic cycle goes. There's always places to make money. Um, we just have to adjust the portfolio accordingly if necessary. And so, um, so we'll chat about that in a second. The other part of it is, is, you know, one of the things that we need in an economy to have inflation be a serious problem is, is near or near full employment. And, and we don't have that at this point in time, though we're having one of the effects of it. And so let me back up. I'm going to put on my economist hat, which I, you know, I don't play one on TV and that kind of stuff. I just, you know, I'm a weirdo about this stuff, but nonetheless. There were um, those who would say that it looks like a dunce hat for most economists, right? <laughs> yeah, well, it mine probably too. But, you know, in here, if we look at the whole principle of having full employment and how that causes inflation is this. Um, if I can't find anybody out there to work my job, I'm going to go steal Tom from Midwest Communications and have him work for me and pay him more money and higher benefits. Does that make sense? What's your offer? <laughs> <laughs> so, so what happens then is if, as companies do this, it tends to start driving up wage prices. And, of course, that goes down into the, uh, the prices that increase of the widget machine. So though that's not happening at this particular point in time, it's just that there's so many people that are not back to work yet, and those that are working are starting to be stole, stolen from other places, and that's causing a certain amount of, of uh, increase back and forth as far as wages go. In addition to that, with so many people not at work in what's called the hourly jobs, and I don't mean to make that, mean that in a derogatory sense, um, but uh, it was used as, from one of the speakers this past week, and it just made it easier to explain it. 
you know, a lot of the, the jobs and the hourly jobs, a lot of people are still you know, out of work and still unemployed at this point in time and have not gotten back. And as a result, we have resources that are having issues. We can't get basic resources because we just don't have those jobs there being made at this point in time. So those things are causing an inflationary effect. The people who are working are starting to be stolen from different people, and it's causing an inflationary effect right now. Now, from what I've read, though, the uh, the Fed doesn't seem to be too concerned about uh, the inflation that we and, do have now. And at this point in time, I agree with the Fed entirely, because I think we have a, uh, an interesting phenomenon that I don't think has ever occurred before, which means we're having some inflationary from an artificial full employment uh, picture that I think is going to quickly whip around as we start getting more shots in arms and as the summer comes along. You know, for example, buying a, we put off a, a, a you know, our, our uh, you know, at some point in time retirement house, we put off the, the work in the building of that um, simply because of the price of a stick of wood and a sheet of plywood is so much more money would have added tens of thousands of dollars to the building price. And being inherently cheap and thrifty, and friends of mine that are listening right now are <laughs> laughing right now, um, so we put it off for you know, at least a year. We're going to put it off and hopefully wait for those those prices to come down. But but what happens in here is that we got to get that stuff, the bodies back to work to build the pieces and the products and the prices to be able to drive some of that stuff down as far as cost goes. And then we'll see inflationary prices level out. But we're probably going to have this temporary inflationary effect coming up. So so we'll see what happens um, um, with that. Now, the one thing nobody wants to see is something that happened during the Carter years, which meant we had a recessionary period. And we we're really not in a recession. We're in some sort of a weird um, asterisk that's going to show up in life as a shutdown and restart of an economy. I don't know if that's the term, but we're really not in a recession per se as far as a measurable standpoint because all the numbers are all out of whack. Um, but we're in this period of time, and as we start coming out of it, we should start to see that growth. And there was another point I was going to make to this, and it's escaped me. Uh, but as we start coming back, we should start seeing those numbers grow, and we should see inflationary numbers start to slow um, and start seeing expansion once again. Now, I've said it before, and this is a Merle Kelch um, opinion piece, and that is this. Usually we end up having a, a, an economic cycle. They usually go about seven, nine years, somewhere in that nature, a macroeconomic cycle. And then as you start getting long in the tooth, you have full employment, um, you have prices start going up. We have to start stealing jobs from back and forth. But things are clicking, and we very much were there in uh, uh, end of 19 and 2020, and 2020, and beginning of 2020. We were very much there. And so it would have led us to believe that we should have had a recessionary period of time coming up in preparations for that. Um, but I think with this stoppage of our economy, shutdown, pause, whatever term we want to use, shutting it down because of COVID, um, I think from a macroeconomic sense, it artificially put us into a recessionary period that we come out of this having some good growth as we come along, and there's only really one thing that could kill it, and that's if taxes go up too much. If taxes go up too much, it's going to disincentivize uh, people, and we could see the economy not grow as much um, or go sideways, much as we saw through uh, um, the bulk of the Obama years. All right, I want to ask you a question about uh, something that I just read on CNBC about small-cap stocks. Um, it says that in a four-month span from the end of October to the end of February, the small-cap Russell 2000, which I imagine is a index of small-cap company stocks, Good. I'm proud of you, Tom. was up 43%, yeah. more than doubling the return of the S&P 500. But yep. in the month of March, it, uh, it, it stepped back, and the Russell 2000 ended March up 0.8%, while the S&P 500 was up 4%. So what happened, I guess, 
for those maybe who don't know what a small cap stock is, what qualifies as a small cap stock, why it was doing so well through the winter, and then all of a sudden in March it came to a screeching halt. You know, Tom, we've been doing this for so long, it's a perfect handshake. People, you should really study our show over the last 20 years. (laughs) (laughs) So in here, whenever you have an economy, the things that are most aggressive are are usually your smaller companies. So your companies that go up to maybe about a billion in size or so um, and down would be considered small cap companies. Uh, What's amazing is those used to be the large ones one uh, one day ago. But the small cap companies are usually the ones who have the innovations and so forth and uh, the new ideas, and they tend to grow really, really fast. And then they become smaller companies. I'm sorry, larger companies. They tend to slow, and then you get your big behemoths. And so the small companies tend to grow faster, and they are also the that tend to lead as we're coming out of a slowdown or recessionary event. They're usually the ones that lead and come up the quickest. And we're seeing the small cap companies starting to jump um, uh, very much so. A slowdown in March, well, that's kind of normal. But um, they're the ones that usually lead the economy. They're usually the ones that are employing uh, uh, smaller companies like you and I, Tom, and usually are the ones that are employing anywhere between 60 to 80% of the population. So when they're jumping, that means we're starting to have some good growth in the economy. All right, 715-845-2155 is the number to call. I was reading another article that uh, from a um, – she's, she's the head analyst for Wilmington Trust. Her name is Megan Shu, and she says – she expects growth stocks, including big tech, to hit more turbulence over the next three months. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, she's helping build her firm's second quarter strategy, which is embracing value stocks and cyclical stocks as opposed mm-hmm. to big tech. Yeah. Uh, talk about why that would be a good thing for the average investor to look at. Well, what's interesting about this is, is let's back up to our diversification model that, we, that we, uh, you know, we certainly use in our office and one that works over time. And a whole bunch of really smart guys, smarter than me, won Nobel Prizes on. You know, folks, when we, we uh, look at growth companies or those companies that, because of the result of their actions that they've done, they've created a widget machine that uh, works out fantastic, and you see some great, robust sales going for the years and so forth. Therefore, we want to buy because of the potential growth. A value company is a company that believe, that somebody believes is on sale, and we can buy it up at an inexpensive price because something happened within their, within their industry that dropped their prices down and their revenues are slow, but still a good quality company. So as a result of this, then, you tend to have where growth companies do well one time, and then as growth companies start going down, the value companies start going up. Uh, So they have an inverse relationship um, uh, to a certain degree. Uh, How much are they correlated? I'm not sure, but I know somebody has that number if we really need to know it. So last year, anything growth-oriented was just taken off, and really it was inside of the tech sector. They were just going mad, and that's why we saw – you know, Tesla and Microsoft and all these companies and Facebook, and everybody went up, especially anybody who was sitting at home shopping or needed somebody delivering. Um, and this whole COVID thing, it went up in price and went up just dramatically last year. So this year then, a lot of companies are looking around saying, well, geez, um, the thing we weren't doing last year, and I'm just using this as an example, folks, um, we really weren't driving much. So oil companies were really kind of down. Their profit was down. I just saw, you know, Dave & Buster's, for example, I read an article, their profits were one-third, our sales were one-third of what they were last year. And so as a result of this, then, we look at it and say, well, geez, is Dave & Buster or oil and gas companies, are they um, now on sale for what they have the possibility to do? Um, and so now we see the value companies starting to take off because people are starting to buy up those companies that didn't have a lot of profit but made it through financially and are still in good financial shape. And so that's the rotation that we're seeing from growth-led companies to value-led companies at the moment. You know, we did really well with a a couple of uh, oil and gas companies that we bought last year for clients. 
And when I went through and did the research, I said, you know, I want companies, of course, that still want to have, uh, we've said in this program, I, I like oil and gas companies that have pipeline, um, uh, not necessarily worried about the oil. But if they are selling oil, I want to make sure that they have good uh, uh, bottom lines and uh, that kind of thing. So we bought some stock, and then it were up just dramatically throughout the course of this year as a result of doing so. Now, I'm not telling you to go run out everybody and buy oil and gas companies, but I'm just using that as an example. And so that's the rotation that she's talking about is exactly that, saying we want to start adding more of the value companies to a portfolio. Now, what's interesting about this, Tom, is if you have a diversified portfolio with the things we've talked about in this program, you know, small, medium, large, growth, value, international, that whole bit, and all the parts inside of there. Um, last year, the growth side of the world took off. The value side of the world it was just painful to watch. But the growth side took off so much that we still had a great rate of return on the bottom line of the portfolio. This so year, how- growth took a slow down, value lines holding it up, and still giving us a nice rate of return on portfolios. So how do you convince your clients to uh, don't look at the shiny big number on one yeah. side and the not-so-good number on the other and, and continue to buy diversified when they all want to buy the one that's all shiny and bright? We hit them with a club. <laughs> You know, that's, Tom, right there is probably the biggest reason that people like me exist. And it's from a consultative standpoint to help people take the emotion out of their money. Folks, even when I invest, I get emotional with my money. I do. I, you know, I'm like anybody else. Well, Jesus thinks I'm going to buy it. And then I have to step back and say, what do I do for my clients? And I stop and I wait and I leave stuff alone. Otherwise, I, too, like anybody else, you get emotional with your dollar, you work hard for the buck, you don't want to have it go down when it doesn't have to. But diversification works over the long term, and that's the thing you have to do is simply to continue to go back and work with your advisor because there's a reason, there's a plan of why you're doing a particular investment. And if there isn't any sort of reason why you're doing it, then I suggest looking for another advisor because there should be a reason that your portfolio is in one place versus another. There's a stereotype of the younger people having shorter attention spans and whether it's because they grew up with their phones or grew up with video games or whatever the case may be. Mm -hmm. Um, Do you find that that they share that short attention span when it comes to you trying to convince them to think about long-term they want it, they want it, they want it right now. They want the, you know, the buying Mm -hmm. and selling of uh, day trading and all of that. And they want instant gratification. Absolutely. Yeah. You hit it right on the head. Um, It's kind of interesting. We'll get like the twenties and 30 something and uh, they'll say, well, I'm going to open an account, and I only want to invest in GameStop. And I first thing, and this is this happened a few weeks ago. I'm like, why GameStop? <laughs> well, because it goes up so much. And it's like, oh, no. And so what I tend to do with the young folks like this is I send them on assignments. Um, I said, we'll, we'll open it up. We'll help you invest. I said, but I want to teach you some stuff first. I said, tell me how much money GameStop made. So I'll send them off, and I'll give them some websites to look at. Homework? You give them homework? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That, so tell me if you want to buy uh, Bitcoin, how much money does Bitcoin make? No, no, don't tell me how much it went up. Tell me how much the company Bitcoin makes. Um, and I like to do that stuff just to try to open people's eyes to realize that, oh, you know, some, you, can, you can always in hindsight pick the best stock in the world, but you can't afford going forward. And so we have to do some of that with younger people because, again, that is that instant gratification that they're expecting. There were studies that were done, and we used to talk about this when we do our classes, which hopefully we had the ability to do at some point in time in post-COVID world again. Um, after 19, uh, you know, 1999, 1998, when the stock market was up, you know, 70, 80%, 100% for internet stocks, the expectation was is people believe that every year when you invest, you're going to get 18% rate of return, um, which is just, you know, it, it's not that way. We all know that. 
So, so I don't know what the number is now, but my expectation is as of last year, because of, of, of trading platforms that we have on our phone now, um, I bet a lot of people think that the expectation of the rate of return you're going to get is 20% every year, and that study would hold true once again. And it's just not the case. I mean, there are long-term rates of returns where a portfolio is diversified. Um, it should be, based upon the S&P 500, at least going back to 1926 and on, uh, is going to be somewhere between 8 and, and, and 10%. That's, a, that's the neighborhood. So do we expect it every year? No. Some years are going to be minus 5 or minus 7, and some years are going to be plus 15. But it averages out to be in that neighborhood uh, based upon the S&P 500. Now, are you going to get that in your portfolio if you're listening? Um, well, maybe, but also maybe not. We don't know. But all we can do is you, you build a portfolio for your best opportunity for that. But if your expectations are 20% and you want to buy you know, these crazy stocks we hear in the news, your, your probability of loss is dramatic because you're not buying stuff. Again, it's weird time. You buy companies that make money. Strange, isn't it? All right. Well, we're going to take profit. a break here. We're going to come back with more. We have a few minutes left, and we'll have some more information from Merle Kelch when we come back here on WSAU. Now, this day, here's Chris Conley. Sometimes actors get tired of the roles that made them famous on this day, April 3rd. Did you know that most adults with autism are unemployed? Together, we can create a more inclusive workforce. Please join us. Gave us hope. We haven't received a single bill from St. Jude, so I really can just focus on what's best for Rinley. Finding cures, saving children. Learn more at stjude.org. The opinions voiced on this show are for general information only and are not intended to provide specific advice or recommendations for any individual. To determine which investments may be appropriate for you, consult your attorney, accountant, financial advisor, or tax advisor prior to investing. This show contains forward-looking statements that may not come true. Securities and Investment Advisory Services offered through HBEC Incorporated, member FINRA SIPC, HBEC Incorporated, Kelch & Associates are unaffiliated companies, and this program is intended for Wisconsin residents only. And we are back here in the studio. Merle Kelch on location today, 715-845-2155. Got a few minutes left. Any other directions you wanted to go this morning? Anything that uh, caught your eye? Just one I want to share. There's a number that's out there that I'm, uh, I'm, I'm really excited about for the next number of months. And so I get so many people that you know, ask the question, are we going to, you know, is the market tanking? Is the economy going down in that whole bit? And, and my answer is, has been across the board. And, and so many measures of this, and you can find it, economists all over the place we see in the job numbers here is that no the, in fact at least for the foreseeable future for the next uh, several quarters we should continue to have expansion in the economy again tax rates with capital gains and corporate tax rates might be the, the factor that slows the economy down otherwise with all of us getting back to work shots and arms uh, on a global basis we should continue to see a resurgence and a growth in the economy so that said the ism number um, um, uh, shows that so the ISM number, and I've said it so many times in this program, but it just makes sense if you've heard for the first time or to bring some education into it. ISM stands for the Institute for Supply Site Management. Their old number was the NAPM, the National Association of Purchasing Managers. That makes it easier. We know what they do. So it's an association of purchasing managers, and they're simply um, quizzed on uh, whether they're buying for expansion or contraction. That's it. 50% is the mean. Above 50% is growth. Below 50% is, is contraction for the economy. And Tom, I don't know if it's a record number, but it's got to be close. Um, this past week, um, 67 is a number, which is huge. Um, usually, if you're 51 or 52, you know, weird guys like me jump up and down saying, this is great. Well, this one here, 
you got a bunch of guys running around, uh, you know, having a personal moment because they're so excited with the is there, 61 number. Is there a way to look at that number and figure out which sectors are doing the most expanding and, and focusing your investments yeah, in those remember areas? Yeah, the, the, uh, the ISM number is forward-looking about six months, and you can actually break it down. I don't have it sitting in front of you, but you can actually go on ISM.com, and it'll actually give you the breakdown of what areas I look to have expansion. And if I had a guess, my guess is the hospitality industry is one of the biggest ones. Wouldn't you then target most of your uh, investments for the next few months in those areas? Or is that uh, getting away from, from what we've talked getting away about. from diversification. Yeah. But, um, you know, there's, there's always, you know, if you look at it, you have the diversification. I call it the mothership. And then you have a couple little satellites that are out there, too. So the money you can afford to lose at a casino, that might be some of those areas that you could target. Now, in Wisconsin, if it's in a hospitality industry, and we want to invest in it. That just means we're going to go play rip tickets at the local pub. Okay. That was an attempt at humor again. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, probably not a great investment strategy. I think I've tried that a few times. <laughs> Me too. Yeah. So, you know, I, I said this as a joke many times. I know we're running out, but let's uh, uh, leave on a little bit of humor if we can. I had a young girl come in to me one time. As a matter of fact, it was on a radio show, Tom, a long time ago. She said, what should I do for my uh, child for her 529 plan, for, or sorry, for education? And it should be for a 529 plan was a conversation. And I don't know if you remember this one. I told her to buy a case of beer and $25 worth of uh, lottery tickets. And she believed you? Well, she, this is on air, Tom. And she said, well, what? I said, yeah. I said, so you buy the 25 tickets of lottery tickets, and if you didn't make any money, drink the case of beer so you forget who gave you this idea. <laughs> <laughs> so then I had to stop, and I've used that a few times. It's been a lot of fun, but thank God nobody's done that. Um, but, you know, there you go. That's the best prediction we have. All right. Well, we're just about out of time for today. If folks want to get a hold of you on Monday, how can they do that? Monday, we will be in the office, 3rd Avenue on Bridge Street in Wassa. Stop on in for a cup of coffee, say hello and hi. You can uh, call us locally, 715-849-3600. Outside of the Wassa area at 866-355-5100 or find us online at Associates.com. Well, I'm happy we got our phone situation figured out this morning and we were able to get most of the program in. And, yeah, uh, no more voiceover internet, brother. All right. Enjoy your weekend. We'll talk to you again next week. See you then. Bye. Colonel Kelch, and Associates in Wausau. We've got uh, Brewer baseball for you tonight. The Brewers taking on the Twins as they resume that series at American Family Field in Milwaukee. Pre-game show here at 535. You can also hear the Bucks game tonight against Sacramento on our sister station, AM 1390 and FM 93.9, the game. All coming up, the news and the polka shows are on the way next.